0: Our scripture lesson today comes from Paul's early admonition to the early churches. They began to learn how to live together. Let's share in God's good word together. Do you not know that in a race the runners all compete, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win it. Athletes exercise self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable one. So I do not run aimlessly, nor do I box as though beating the air, but I punish my body and enslave it, so that after proclaiming to others, I myself should not be disqualified. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. The Incredibles. It's one of my favorite movies of all time, largely because I like to think of myself as Mr. Incredible and married to Flexa Girl over here. It's just good. Partly of the reason I love that movie is because it came out at a time when we had little ones. Uh, if you know our, our youngest son, uh, Noah, uh, he's much like Dash. He was just everywhere. like choo, 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 choo. And, and so we just, you know, it kind of felt like home to us. And, and so every once in a while, I would be doing, you know, that really important preacher stuff, you know, holy and sacred things, uh, like playing a Game Boy or, or something, you know, where I was just sort of checked out. Uh, or maybe it was a Bible study, or maybe it was I was on a, an important phone call, and I would hear this uh, from sort of the other side of the house, Bob, engage. And I knew what that meant. Mark, come on. Like, come on. I got a three-year-old, a one-year-old here. Like, come on. Come on. Need some help. Need you to engage. Uh, need you to pay attention. You know, need a little help here. And And so this became sort of Sort of our movie, uh, the life story of us and, and what that was like. And so I just, I just fell in love with it. Um, and, and one of the things is that I find it to be so true that we all need some help sometimes. If you have your sermon notes, I invite you to take those out. We're going to begin today uh, a new sermon series called Relationship Boot Camp. Relationship Boot Camp. And it's, it's not just for those relationships that might be in trouble, although every relationship gets in trouble sometimes. But it's really for all of our relationships. So if, if you are a person here uh, that's not currently married, uh, or maybe never married or never intend to be married, this is good for you too, because the relationships we're going to look at uh, come in all sorts of shapes and sizes. We have relationships with children, uh, with aging adults and parents, with siblings, with co-workers, with people in our neighborhood, with our church friends and small group, as well as with the people that we date or happen to be married to. All of these are very important relationships. Uh, about five years ago, we began this series in February uh, because um, we need it. Now, now, granted, we are a church of, of largely um, you know, young couples with small children. That's, that's sort of the, the major grouping of our church and has been for quite some time. Uh, but what I find is that when I visit with people, uh, whether they're newly married or been married a long time, the conversations often go uh, in the same way. And one of the things that we find in Oklahoma in particular, two years ago, Oklahoma was number two in the United States for the highest divorce rate. Now, I know that you can go and you can make statistics say what you want to, or you can look at this in different ways, but, but seriously, friends, two out of 50, I mean, there's no good way of putting a spin on that. Oklahoma has a serious relationship issue with the way we understand each other and able to hang in together. It's very difficult. It's, it's, a, it's a hard thing in our state. And so we're trying to help turn that around. We, we want people who are married to stay married. If that's a healthy, loving, God-honoring relationship, uh, we want that to go that way. And uh, We need God's help on that. And, and one of the things that I've found, which is uh, in some ways good and other ways just horrible and troubling, is that really good, wonderful, moral people, kind people uh, are still struggling. People who are friends. People that I've met and are just guests to the church have these struggles. And people that I've known for decades now will tell me. And I'm, and, and I'm kind of surprised. Uh, I have people tell, say things like this. You know, Pastor Mark, I think you could talk about relationships every week and it probably wouldn't be too much. Because it, it's true, isn't it, that when heaven comes to earth, it's through relationships. The Bible says, he who says he loves God but hates his neighbor or his brother or sister is lying. You see, this thing that we do about following Jesus is something we do together. And it all comes down to our relationships. It's not something we just think about. It's something we live out together in community. And so the thing that has really kind of gotten me um, is when I, when I do this uh, pastorally or when we get into sort of uh, really in, intentional um, work, what I find um, from John Gottman, I really love his work, uh, is that it's not the big stuff. It's not these huge moral failures. It's not uh, always alcoholism uh, or infidelity Uh, More often than not, it simply looks like this, and I want to share it with you the way uh, Dr. Gottman puts it. He says, "I want I want you to meet Phil and Tina. They're a couple in their 30s who seem to have it all. They've got solid jobs, two beautiful kids, lots of good friends, and they love each other. Trouble is, they haven't had sex in six months." So they're seated together on a small sofa in a therapist's office, and the couples, they start to describe how the problem got started. And they simply said this, Tina's company was going through this big reorganization, and every day she would come home exhausted, just exhausted. And Tina chimed in, she says, yeah, it was a real drag. I was spending all day in these long, tense meetings, trying to hold on to people's jobs. When I got home, I couldn't shake the stress. It was just all over me. I didn't want to talk to anyone not to anybody. I felt so anxious and and Phil tried to be nice, but and then Phil hopped back in. He says, "I wanted to help her, to tell her it was going to be okay, but I couldn't do anything right in her eyes." It wasn't like we had this huge catastrophic breakdown or anything. It was more about the little stuff. Maybe y'all track with that with me? Just the little stuff. I'd kiss her on the back of her neck or start to rub her stomach when we were in bed and things that, you know, used to get her attention. But now I was getting nothing in return. Zip. It definitely threw me off balance. Tina hopped back in. And I felt that if I didn't get all hot and bothered the minute he touched me, that he was going to be wounded or something. She said, it just made me so tense. And then Phil got to the point. He said, she has all these people leaning on her at work. And then she comes home to this guy who's feeling insecure now because the relationship isn't going well. He's now whining about his needs. It was such a turnoff for her. And then Jock Gottman, his therapist, hops in and he says this So to preserve his pride, Phil quit trying. He just quit trying. Phil said, I got tired of the rejection. I don't know how long we can go on like this. It's tough to keep putting yourself out there only to be shut down all the time. Sure, I love her, but sometimes I'm afraid we're not going to make it. And I think every couple that's been married three or five years gets to that point where you love each other, nothing huge you can point to, you're just, you're just not sure you're going to make it. And I want you to know that that's normal. That happens. But it doesn't have to be the end of it. But just because you want it to turn around doesn't mean it's going to. It's going to take some real intentional effort and work. And we're going to look at that over the next four weeks. We're going to look about how to be flexible with one another. We're going to do some strength training together. And then we're going to do endurance training for the long haul. Uh, Chantel and I have been married uh, 25 years. And my hope is uh, on the last week to share with you a couple that's been married almost 50 years. And we'll start to learn uh, how do you do that. How do you make it for the long haul and one of the things that Gottman points out, and I've been studying him since the early 90s, and I think he's just spot on. Now, for transparency, Gottman's not a Christian, I don't think. I think he comes from a Jewish faith background. So he's a person of faith, he just doesn't have to be of our faith. But his research is spot on. And I want to share it with you because I think it will help you, and I think it will help have the kind of relationships that God wants us to have. And it really, he boiled it down to this over uh, 20, 30, 40 years of research. It, it comes down to this. That all of us, you and I, we all long for evidence that those closest to us understand and care about what we're feeling. That this is, this is it. Isn't that true? That, that what you want from a spouse or a friend or a coworker, the people that you're really close to, you want to know that they understand and care about what you're feeling, what you're going through. Isn't that true for you? That that's really what you want? That what, that's what I want? We need to share emotional information to help us feel connected. We need to be able to share our thoughts and feelings. So the first thing as we come to this is is really assessment. What is our goal? What is the basic problem? Uh, Those of you who know me well know that when I go to the mall, I'm lost as a goose. Now, Chantel, she can go upwards, backwards, forwards, any parking lot, any store, anytime. She can get you right where you need. Not me. You know what I need? I need one of those you-are-here dots. Right, if I don't have a you are here dot, I am lost. I have no idea how to get from, you know, Pickett, Macy's to JCPenney to the food court. I can sometimes get to the movie theater, but that's about it, you know. And so I need a you are here dot. And so before we just start running in every direction about relationships and how to actually get to them so that they're more healthy, we need a you are here dot. So today is about that dot. What is our assessment? How do we, how do we know where we are so that we can begin to take a step forward? Well, as, as you boil all this down, Gottman says in all of his research over all these decades that, that the problem with relationships comes down to this. It's failure to master what he calls the emotional bid. Failure to master the emotional bid. Will you say that with me? Failure to master the emotional bid. Well, what does that mean? What is an emotional bid? Well, it might look something like this. Knock, knock. Thank you, Creighton. Come on, losers. The rest of you. I'm putting myself out there, right? Knock, knock. Okay, now you see the difference? You see the difference? Because I'm trying to connect with you first time you missed it. So I come back to you and say, look, this has hurt my feelings up here. I'm like pitching my best stuff and you're just sitting there. And so the second time I come around, I say knock, knock, and you say? I'm still losing some of you, come on. (laughs) (laughs) This is not that hard, right? It's an emotional bid, right? So I'm trying to connect with you and I'm hoping that you'll connect back with me. Now, this happens all the time with all kinds of different relationships. Happens at work, happens at your home, happens with your kids, happens with your parents, happens with your siblings, right? And so we have this back and forth. So it comes down to this. I want to feel connected to you. That's what you're saying. I want to feel connected to you. Now, if there's somebody in the room that you really do want to feel connected to, I want you to turn to them and say, I want to feel connected to you. Now, if you're sitting by yourself or, and somebody you've never met is next to you, don't say it to them. That's weird. That's <laughs> weird. Right? But if there's somebody that you care about in the room and you can make, lock eyes with them, then I want you to try this. You may have never said this before in your life. I want to feel connected to you. Are you ready? Let's try that. I want to feel connected to you. 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 Right? I mean, it, it's good. It's good. I want to feel connected to you. It's really important that we're able to say this because if we can't, then our relationships are going to be stilted and stalled. I want to feel connected to you. It's something we can practice Uh, in the mirror. Now, this is why it's important, because every uh, action needs a reaction in terms of a relationship, right? So when I say knock-knock, you say? (laughs) Finally. Okay, we're getting better. I can remember when when my sister, she's 26 months older than I am, we would play ping-pong together in the church basement where dad would preach. Um, and, And as many of you all know, if you're the youngest boy and you have an older sister, sisters take great delight in beating you at everything, and so there was this one day we'd played probably 100, 200 games of ping pong, and I finally won. I finally won. It had never happened in all these years. It finally happened. And so as any little brother would do, I was like two out of three. Like I was ready to go. And she really wasn't that interested because I'd just beaten her for the first time. And I was like, no, please, please, please. You promised mom that we would. You know, we're not ready to go for another 30 minutes. you got to play with me. Okay, so we did. So I got my second game. So I get the, the ball, and I go, ping. And she just stood there she went off the table. She threw it back to me. Ping! This time she didn't even throw it back to me. I had to go walk and get the ball and come back. Two nothing. Ping! Three nothing. Fifteen nothing. You see, the thing was, she was physically present, but there was no palm. Right? For every ping, you need a what? People. When I say ping, you say? When I say knock, knock, you say? Finally. Come on. <laughs> we practice. Right? Emotional bids. This happens all the time in our homes. Honey, I'm home. <laughs> all right, all right. All right, yeah. right. Love you, babe. Right. Growl. I mean, what happens? You see, what Gottman finds is that husbands are headed for divorce. Those that do, they disregard their wives' bids for connection 82% of the time. All right? It, this is just... This is just research, friends, versus 19% of stable relationships. You see the difference? Wife asks the husband how his day was or what's going on or how the phone call went or about their day. And, you know, if the husband doesn't respond uh, over and over and over again, uh, that's heading the wrong direction. Now, now what I, what I want to say about this is that this is not malicious stuff, right? It, you don't have to be in the middle of a fight. You don't have to say anything negative. It's just, when this becomes habituated, it's devastating. It's ending in destruction. Nothing big, notice, right, in the therapist's office. There wasn't any big thing. We just, just a little stuff. We just weren't connected. Now, conversely, uh, wives who are headed for divorce, they would act preoccupied. Right? They would just act preoccupied with other activities 50% of the time. Now, I'll, I'll own this, that these don't look like fair numbers, but, but what I think is going on, that guys aren't very good at this anyway, and so on the rare occasion, we actually do reach out and try to have an emotional bid. If you're not paying attention, that's bad. That's really bad news. And, and so even if you're so good that you're able to hit it half the time, it's still not going to work. The husbands bid for their attention versus 14% of happily married wives. So wives report that they're very happy, but to be happy, it means that they're being responsive to their husbands 86% of the time. I don't think my math worked there. Did it? Yeah, 86, okay. Whew. Theology major, just you know, checking. All right. So you, you see this, you see the difference. It's important that we see this. You know, these aren't bad people, these are just good, well-meaning people. But when we don't respond to each other things start to fall apart little bit by little bit. Now, when we were preparing for this sermon, Reverend Andy said something I thought was really profound. He said, we instinctively try to normalize our upbringing. I think that's right. That we just, whatever we grow up with, we think is normal. (laughs) I got the tip for you. It's not normal. Right? We all have things about our growing up that's not normal. We just think it's normal because that's what we grew up with. When when I grew up, I grew up in a preacher's home. (laughs) Pastor's homes are not normal. They're just not. Uh, I... I didn't know this, but my dad used to mow the lawn in a tie. He would have slacks, a shirt, and a tie. Because he felt like he always had to be ready to be at the hospital or to do a funeral or to be at the church. He had to look a certain way as a professional to lead the church. That's not normal. I don't mow the lawn in a tie, right? But dad did. The other thing that I didn't know wasn't normal is, you know, we would be at the parsonage, uh, which was connected to the parking lot, to the church, made out of the same brick material, um, and so people knew that was the parsonage. And so we would have people literally ring the doorbell at 3 in the morning because they needed help. Not normal. But as a pastor's family, that was normal. You know, you get up, you get dressed, you go find out what's going on. Did somebody die? Is there a wreck? Does somebody need it in the church uh, because I-35 iced over and now we're sort of a rescue shelter? What's going on? This is sort of normal life as a pastor's kid um, in that day and in that age. But, but that's not Normal. Does it make sense? And so we have to figure out what's normal, what's, what's not normal. Um, and, and this is so important because, right, sometimes if we're not careful, things that we think are normal aren't normal, and they start to break down a relationship. I now want to show you my favorite clip of all time from any movie. Here it is. <laughs> I am your wife. I'm the greatest good you are ever going to get. Right. Now, for all the pastors surgeons, doctors, physicians, police officers, firefighters, first responders in the room. Pay attention. Pay attention. Right? They've been planning this dinner for 2 months. For 2 months. And and let me just say if if you don't show up for a month that you've been uh, for a date you've been planning for 2 months, you're in trouble. you may not recover from that, right? He's looking forward to it. She's looking forward to it. He's putting on aftershave. He's been working at this, and life happens, right? Fair enough. Life happens. But I want to share with you that for me, I'm so grateful to Bishop Bruce Blake who appointed me here to start this church uh, 19 years ago this week. And he said this to me as we were starting the church. He said, Mark, look, as a pastor, you will always have people dying. You will always have people in trauma. You will always have people in the hospital. You will always have people in need. You have people that are lonely. You will have people going through divorce. You will have people that are major tragedy, but your sons only have one dad, and that's you. And one day they're going to grow up, and they're going to leave. And you either will or will not have been a good father to them. So you make sure that when your son needs to play catch, and somebody else has a funeral, you play catch with your son if that's what needs to happen that day. Because I want you in ministry for the long haul, not just for a year or two. I want you to be able to influence and build a kingdom your whole life long, not just you know, a year or two in burnout. Or where you get divorced, or your kids don't love you, or the kids hate Jesus, uh, or, or they don't love the church anymore because they never saw the love of God in you. You were never there for them. He said, so you make sure and you be there for your boys. Now, as a father who's got uh, one headed, my last one headed to college, that's an important lesson for me. And I want to share with you that because the church understood the importance for sacred set-apart time, everybody needs it, your family has to know they can count on you on a certain day at a certain time. And so even early on in the church's life, I would say to Carolyn as our lay leader or Will Poshetsny as our administrative council chair or, or many of you sitting in the room, look, I need to go be with my family on this day. Will you cover for me no matter what? And, and one of the things that people would say, well, what if the church starts to burn down? I'm like, call the fire department. <laughs> well, I'm no help with that. I don't, I don't fight fires. Right? And so I'm so grateful for Dr. Alexander and for Andy that when I need to, and to be available to my family for sacred, uninterrupted time, I can because I know Dr. Alexander has it. I know that Andy has it. And when they need time with their family, I'm there for them. And you see how this works? Now, we can do this. And and for those of you who are physicians and you're on call, okay, so maybe you're not having your date on your on-call night. You're having your date on the night that you're not on call. Right? That, That you have to make priority for those you love so that you can have that emotional connection. And if you don't put time, effort, and energy into that relationship, it will not be there for you. And we don't need to blame God or anybody else for that. Those are our own choices. Right? This is something that is simply axiomatic. It is the case. So what do we do? What to do? Well, let's talk about the typical dinner hour. Again, let's go back to the research. First of all, just put up your phone. Don't even let them in, in, at the table. Just check them before you come to the table, right, so that you can actually connect. And this is why that's important. Happily married people engage one another 100 times in 10 minutes in, the, in this dinner hour. And those who are headed for divorce, they only connect 65 times. Now, if you're reading this like I did earlier in the week, I thought, holy smoke, I'm not sure we connected three times at dinner last week, much less 65. 65 looks like really good, like that's smoking. And I think it's changing because of technology and and always being around for texts and emails and this, that, and the other. It's really changing. This is getting harder to do, friends, not easier. It's getting harder, and I know that. You see, every loving or respectful response to another forms a pot of emotional money in the bank. So every time somebody has an emotional bid, you know, when they say, knock, knock, we're getting there, all right? Now we've got a little bit of energy in our emotional money bank, in our little piggy bank, right? And and, and so many researchers now say that somewhere between five positive interactions for every negative or 15 positive interactions for every one negative just keeps you even. And any husband that has ever crossed your wife knows this to be true, right? You're not there for her. Oh, you, you think you're making up that night? No, no, you're two weeks out, right? I mean, it takes many, many, many times to make up that deficit uh, in that piggy bank, okay? And, and so this, this is how that is. Now, the good news is, if in these small emotional bids, right? So when I say knock, knock, you say? Yes. Right, and so then we're building that. So then when trouble comes, and it always comes, nobody's immune from this, right? Nobody's exempt. Um, then you can actually do something with it. Chantal and I have been married 11 years, uh, the year before, we'd gone on a cruise. It was awesome. It was so wonderful you couldn't replicate. It was just fantastic our kids were little so at our 11th anniversary uh, she made all the plans and uh, she had this wonderful place up in Tulsa we were going to go to uh, and this dinner on, on, down in the basement and she just planned it all it was just awesome she'd done the good work she you know put the kids with grandparents the whole thing it was awesome the problem is I'm kind of neurotic when we go out of town and so you know what every good husband wants to do is I needed to mow the lawn and edge it and make it perfect before we left that's just me just weird that way and so I, I, you know, she was ready and beautiful and ready to go, and I'm all sweaty and grassy and gross. And uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm running late now. I'm trying to get ready. And I say, well, where do you want to go lunch? She says, well, how about 501? I, you know, that sounds good. So we go over to 501, and uh, of course, I'm starving because I've been mowing all morning. And uh, this is August because our anniversary is in late August. And uh, we go there, and, and she looks at me. We're almost done with the meal. And I've eaten my food really fast because I'm just gross that way. And um, she's finishing up this beautiful California chicken sandwich. And she says, Well, would you like a bite? I can tell you're still hungry because I'm always hungry. And um, and so I'm like, Sure. So I take a bite of the sandwich. And next thing I know, my throat starts to close. I feel like somebody's punching me from the inside out. I'm starting to have a hard time breathing. Um, And I'm having this allergic reaction to whatever's on her sandwich. It happened to be a big, beautiful slice of avocado, which I had no idea I was allergic to, but apparently I am. And so uh, we immediately leave there. We pay real quick. We go down to the CVS because I'm brilliant. I'm going to just take Benadryl, which is going to be awesome. And I throw down, you know, I'm literally on my knees in the aisle at CVS over on Bryant. And I'm chugging down this Benadryl uh, and this water bottle just trying to, you know, be okay. And I realize that this is, this is not going well. I'm getting worse, not better. So then we go to the hospital, um, and of course they, they take me, and they pump me full of shots of epinephrine. I feel great, and then I'm very sleepy. Very, very sleepy. And so, rather than me taking her on this beautiful trip to Tulsa that she's playing, she drives me to Tulsa uh, while I'm sleeping. Um, and then we get there, and I sleep. She reads, which she loves to do. Um, so that was good. Um, and then I kind of remember waking up at the dinner and then, like, like having my face in my plate, and then waking back up, and and that was great. Now, today we kind of have fun with the story, you know, humor and attention that sort of thing because we have money in the bank. But if we didn't have money in the bank, you you know what I thought? She's trying to kill me. <laughs> like she offered me the bite last thing. It's our anniversary. She's offering me. That's what I'm thinking. Or she's thinking, he's so dumb. was what, what he doing mowing the lawn and then eating this food and, you know, always doing this? What? He's trying to ruin our anniversary. He slept through the whole thing, which, which is easy to go there. But because we had emotional money in the bank, now it's just a funny story. You see the difference? Seriously, if I disappear after an avocado incident, it's her. <laughs> Probably not. Probably. We're okay, right? Please. A lot of people know now, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So here's the thing here's the thing. We have three choices, right, in any relationship. The, the first is this, that we can turn, turn toward the other person with humor, affection, interest, and this allows us to stay connected and to solve problems when we turn towards one another. Now, this is important because when you look at the life of Jesus, he's turning towards every person in the Bible, isn't he? He's turning towards the tax collectors, the sinners, the prostitutes, Zacchaeus, Judas. He's always turning toward. Others, and and that's where the good stuff happens. But there's also another choices in there. There's turning against, and and so um, you know this is like sarcasm, ridicule, hostility. So you know I say knock knock, and you go what? Right? Now, I would hope you say who's there. But so, you know if you if you're just tired of the knock knock jokes because that's like all I do. That's all you know, Mr. Funny. Ha! Ah, I've heard it a hundred times. What? And turning against. Now that happens in relationships. And here's the thing that's interesting. Your relationship doesn't end immediately when someone turns against you. It's just a slow, painful death. It takes a long time with that. So you can overcome that because at least you're getting response. What people rarely overcome is when that moves to the next one, which is to turn away. That You don't even have the energy to turn against anymore. You're, you're just past that. So they say knock, knock, and you're like, yeah. No, you don't even get the what. The what's even gone. Right? And, and now you're just on the edge of, of being over. Right? You act preoccupied. Oh, I didn't hear you. Did you say something? I, I don't even I know that. You see, in stable marriages, spouses rebid just 20% of the time. Now, you'll notice that I highlighted the word stable. So, I mean, if you're really cooking with gas and you've got a good relationship, and you bid and it's not returned, you still, even in the best of marriages, only get a 20% chance that that's going to come back around your way because it's so painful to put yourself out there and to get nothing. Only the very healthiest of people can actually rebid and rebid and rebid. And that comes from Christ living in you, a power greater than yourself, willing to get yourself out there where the responses of the world are not as important to you as they used to be because you know who you are, you know what your character is, and you know what you're gonna do with Christ living in you. But only the very healthiest of relationships can even do this. For those that are in trouble, you, you bid and you get nothing back, that's it. Because it takes a lot. And and if you've been there, you know what I'm talking about. It takes a lot to have the courage to rebid. It just does. So when all bids cease, it's game over. Right? When when you're not bidding and the other people you care about at work or in your home, they they just stop. And of course, this is most devastating with our children. And we never even see it coming. Because we're busy. We're working hard. We're providing for them. And they say, hey, Dad, you want to play basketball? Um, You know, um, how about some other time? You know what research shows us? Some other time almost never happens. You know why it never happens? Because your 7-year-old won't yet have the courage or learn how to rebid to you. What they learn is Dad doesn't care. Mom doesn't care. And I'm not going to face that rejection. So they're going to ask once. Will you watch me play this video game? Will you spend time with me? Can we go for a walk? Can we have a puppy? Now they'll rebed the puppy. But we need to understand this. That only the healthiest, most trained folks can rebed. Or it's game over. Now, the most important turn of all though, of course, is what? It's to God. God is with you. He's knocking on the door of your heart. He says, listen, I'm standing at the door knocking. If you hear my voice, open the door and I will come into you and eat with you and you with me. Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart. I I love this painting. And and, and there's lots of different paintings of this. But on all of them, you'll notice there's one thing missing. What is it? Yeah, there's no doorknob. There's no handle. Jesus is not going to rip into your life. He's simply knocking. He's bidding. He's bidding. He's saying, Come to me. I'm here. I want a relationship with you. And notice that in this relationship and in every relationship, you cannot make someone rebid, right? Knock, knock. Right? It either happens or doesn't happen. You can't make it happen. All you can do is raise awareness that you're trying to connect, that I want to connect to you. Jesus is knocking. And and if you haven't yet said yes to him, I hope you'll do that today because that makes the knocking on everybody else's door a lot easier. It makes it possible. You see, it's about interactive engagement, interactive relationship. God wants a relationship with you where where he's with you and you're with him. And, And you can't ignore that. Jesus says, I know your works, you're neither cold nor hot. You're just ignoring me. You're just going through the motions. I wish that you either cold or hot, at least give me a what or an I don't care or this or that or something because you're lukewarm, God says, neither cold nor hot. I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. I can't live like this, God says. You're my bride. You're the one that I love. Be in relationship with me. Talk to me. Love me. Or or at least talk back to me. But something. This is the most important relationship. So how do we win at this, friends? How do you win at a relationship? How do you do this? Well, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 9, he says this. He says, don't you know that we're going to compete, but only one receives the prize? How do we do this? How are we going to win? Well, the key is to start long before the conflict long before there's a problem. You're putting money into that emotional piggy bank that allows you to recover, right? So you have to start long before the conflict. Now, you may be sitting here today, uh, which is probable, and you say, well, the conflict's on. So now what do I do? We start now. You start as fast as you can. You start today. And Paul says it like this. He says, athletes exercise self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable one. So we don't run aimlessly, nor do I box as though beating the air. No, we, we punish our bodies and enslave us so we can do something tomorrow that we can't do today so that we're not disqualified. What's that mean? It says we need a plan. We need a training partner. We need a coach. We need people to run alongside us. We need a plan, friends. We have to start. Start now. And the plan includes things like this, arrivals and departures. So important. When you've got a family member coming into town or leaving town, it's important what you do with that. Who picks them up? How do you welcome them? When, when somebody comes into the office or leaves the office, how do they come? How do they leave? It's important. And it's going to take effort and work. It takes face time. One of the things that's making it really troublesome, and those of you who work closely with a lot of people know this to be true, when you need to have a hard conversation with somebody, would you prefer to do that by text, email, or face-to-face? Now, you know what's most effective, but what's your preference? See, face-to-face is most effective, but a lot of people will cheap out and be like, yeah, I texted me, was late today. Well, he knows he was late today. You got to talk that through, right? So it takes effort. It takes work, and, and we're not to be afraid to ask for help. We got we got to ask for help. Every good athlete needs a good coach, needs running mates, and when this all works together, this is the fun part. Sometimes it looks really good. It looks like this. Takes some effort, takes some work, but it's worth it. It's good. It can happen. Now to be fair, that's only halfway through the movie. There's a whole lot more, um, but it's good. So what are action steps Well first of all let's just be honest it takes risk it takes a big risk for you to put yourself out there for you to make a bid particularly if it's been a long time or you've been feel distant from someone but make a bid get up the courage ask the lord to help you to know the when and the how and the why to be in relationship with the world and if friends you are fortunate enough to receive a bid for heaven's sake respond Respond. Don't miss that, right? Don't don't miss that. If if you are fortunate enough, now there are people in this room today that this is the only socialization they get all week, right? And and so if you have somebody in church after church today, say, hey, how was your week? Respond, respond, because you never know what someone's going through. And so I would encourage us to 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 respond so that when somebody walks out in the parking lot with you and they go knock knock, you're going to say, right, very good.